The Fed, in their last meeting, obviously they paused, but they guided still to maybe two more hikes potentially uh, this year. So the reason for that is that inflation has come down somewhat, but it's really still sticky and above the Fed's target. Welcome to the Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools to help you navigate any market environment, leading to a path of more confident investing. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Financial Commute. I'm your host, Chris Koleski, joined by Managing Director of, of Investments, Sasan Faze. Sasan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Halfway through 2023. Can you believe it? Yeah, it's been it's been a rough ride <laughs> so far. So, like, let's rewind. Okay, it's January of 2023. Headlines are all about rate hikes and recessions and real estate crash. And as we've gone through the first six months of the year... Um, a lot of those headlines, some are true and some are just headlines, right? We haven't had a recession yet, although we've seen a slowdown in certain, um, some areas of the economy. Um, the Fed did continue to raise interest rates, um, but we had a few banks collapse and we had this whole debt ceiling debacle. So with all that said, how interesting do you find it that the S&P 500 is up, you know, call it 16, almost 17% for the year? Yeah, I think uh, I probably would not have believed it if somebody told me in January that the market was going to be up that much. But the markets were down uh, uh, pretty good in 2022. So some of it has to do with the with the bounce back and uh, expectations that the economy didn't go into a recession, which we don't know yet. But definitely, the I think it's a little bit deceiving when you look at the indices like S&P 500 up. 16, 17% for the year. It's really powered by seven mega cap technology companies that are up almost 58% for the year. So those are the Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, Google. Uh, these are the stocks that have been driving the market higher. If you look at the 493 stocks that are in S&P 500, only up 5%. So on the surface, it looks like the market is up a lot more than uh, the, basically the broad market, but the broad market really has not participated as much. Yeah, thank you for thank you for lifting up the hood of the car. I mean, I don't like just talking about the S and P five hundred, but it's one of the most popular you know indices to look at. Um, so just to recap, of the five hundred companies, seven of them drew drove the majority of the growth. I guess four hundred ninety three of them. We're only up 5% versus the index up almost 17. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And I think that, you know, narrow breadth. So when you have just a few stocks uh, driving the index, is usually a sign of uh, trouble down the road, especially if you are going into a economic slowdown or, or downturn. A lot of money is just going to where the market believes it's a little bit safer, larger companies. Uh, but you need broader participation. We had a little bit uh, better participation from the general market late in the quarter, but still, I was not that was not enough to lift all stocks. So, so actually, when you look at mega cap technology companies, were up 
quite dramatically. When you look at small stocks and commodity and natural resource stocks, those were actually down for the first uh, half of the year. Yeah, and you know, there a lot of some of the headlines earlier in the year um, were around sort of AI, and so the introduction of AI and that drove a lot of the growth for companies like the Microsofts, the Googles, the Nvidias of the world. Um, you know, again, that group has really led the way. You know, tell me a little bit about you know international. What happened with international so far halfway through the year? So international, I think the broader uh, developed international was doing actually better than the general U.S. market in the beginning, uh, maybe three, four months of the year. They're a little bit lagging, but but valuations are more reasonable in the in the international markets. Emerging markets, so those are China and uh, some of the more countries that have not been developed as much, those actually lag because the China's economy is a little bit uh, getting started and stopped and started and stopped. And uh, the growth of the economy has disappointed quite a bit. So we, we haven't had that major growth in emerging markets, even though the economies are growing uh, better than the developed international. But developed international actually is doing relatively well. So one more point I think I want to make on, the, on your point about AI, uh, so artificial intelligence. It, there is no question that's going to be a huge driver from a technological point of view. But for example, you, you mentioned NVIDIA. NVIDIA is selling at almost over 40 times sales, not earnings. So NVIDIA is a great company, but then when, when you look at great companies versus good fundamental stocks, it's hard to make the argument that it, it's, a, it's a cheap stock. So... So I think a lot of that uh, hype has been priced into some of the mega cap technology companies. And uh, I think that uh, kind of fraud is going to have to come out of the market. Well, you can have a great company and buy it at the wrong price. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so when you're investing, price determines a lot of your outcome, um, even though it could be a great company. So selling in that type of valuation, they need to continue to grow and expand a lot. And, you know, who knows what will happen? A lot, a lot can change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting, you know, we've had these conversations over the years with interest rates at near zero. There's really not very much competition for investing, right? If you're not incentivized to invest in bonds or cash or other things, people are going to be forced to go other places into stocks and real estate and what have you. Now that the Fed has raised interest rates, I think, you know, a year and a half ago, rates were almost at zero. Now they started the year at four and a half percent. As of today, I think the Fed funds is uh, around five and a quarter. Um, there's now a competition for investing because you can get a very safe, reasonable return um, by investing in some fixed income or U.S. Treasury bills at around five percent. That affects sort of the future expected return of other types of investments, whether it be stocks or real estate. Uh, what's your take now on the overall environment now that there's a competition for dollars when it comes to investing? Yeah, so I think, the, I mean, the Fed in their last meeting, obviously they paused, but they guided still to maybe two more hikes potentially uh, this year. So the reason for that is that inflation has come down somewhat, but it's really still sticky and above the Fed's target. So, so if you think about interest rates are still going up, valuations on the equity markets are relatively high. So 
it's it's hard to imagine that the equity market is going to continue at this pace. So as you mentioned, I think on the credit side, on the fixed income side, we're seeing some good opportunities both on the public side and also on the private side. So on the public side, for example, investment-grade bonds and corporate bonds and mortgage-backed securities are having a decent yield. So that's something that some of our credit managers are trying to capitalize on. But again, our focus is more on the private side, where, where we think there, there are better opportunities in private lending right now, where you have collateral uh, that's going to be backing your loan. And the opportunities are going to be great, especially as you mentioned with the banking crisis. Banks are pulling back on lending. So that's going to be better opportunities for some of these private lenders to get in there and kind of fill that vacuum that exists. I'm glad that you brought that up because the banking collapse, you know, nobody wants to live in a world where their safe money is at risk, right? That is not a fun environment. But with the small and medium-sized regional banks either going under or being consolidated under a larger bank, what that does is it creates, you know, less flexibility for unique loans to small, medium-sized businesses or even real estate. So it creates a tremendous opportunity for private lending, um, a space that's going to probably grow a lot more as some of these banks tighten up their lending facilities. I hear a lot of people talking about, oh, well, rates will eventually go down. Well, not necessarily. No, yeah. These banks are finally earning a decent yield on their loans. Even if we were to go into a little bit of a recession or a slowdown, they're not going to be quick to lower the interest rates anytime soon. Now, yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think the equity market especially, I think they're really more optimistic that rates are going to come down as soon as we see some uh, weakening in the U.S. economy. That's really not priced into the market. So when you look at the Fed fund futures, we don't expect any kind of rate cuts maybe in middle of next year at best. So I think the equity markets are a little bit too optimistic. Uh, rates probably may, may go up another uh, maybe 50 basis points from here. But as far as being caught, I don't think that's necessarily in the, ne in the cards for the next maybe six to nine months, uh, if so. So when you're looking at uh, smaller banks, the other area I think that's going to be a big issue is in the commercial real estate uh, space where smaller banks have more exposure to commercial real estate than larger banks. And, and we've started to see some of the uh, bankruptcies and potential defaults starting to materialize. So, but that's still going to be a f little bit further, further down the line. So as you mentioned, just the fact that smaller banks are more exposed to commercial real estate, that's even more reason for them to pull back on their lending. So again, more opportunities for private lenders to kind of step in there and fill the gap. So on that, I, we've talked a little bit about stocks. Okay? S&P 500 up almost seven, led by the technology, large cap technology rally. Um, NASDAQ 100 up almost 40. International stocks doing fairly well. Bonds are up for the year. But just a real quick, to, to stay on that topic of commercial real estate, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, safe money or the Fed funds, that has so much to do with what you should expect from an income from a lot of different asset classes, right? So you've got small and medium-sized regional banks sort of going under, getting consolidated or being stressed. Um, back when 
interest rates were zero, somebody could buy a property at a four cap, which is their unlevered yield. So, you know, a $10 million property will generate $400,000 of income, right? That was attractive when rates were at zero. Now that the Fed funds or, or U.S. Treasury bills are at call it five, that that's not that attractive. Now to buy that real estate, that illiquid investment, you need to be getting a premium on that. Exactly. So that should be trading it and call it an eight cap, so to speak. Just, I don't know for sure. I'm just using round numbers, right? So where a $10 million property should generate around $800,000 because you can go get a risk-free return of 5%, which is $500,000 by buying treasury bills, right? What we're seeing right now is I read something about deal volumes in commercial real estate being down close to 70% year over year, meaning there's a, there's a mismatch between what people are willing to pay and what people are willing to sell. And all there's a lot of loans out there that are coming due in the next couple of years that are going to have to refinance from a low interest rate, call it 3%, to a higher interest rate at 6 or 7 And that extra cost for borrowing money is going to affect the value of that real estate significantly. We have some of our real estate managers that think that this could create one of the best buying opportunities in the next decade, depending on what could happen. Obviously, um, time will tell. What are some thoughts that you would you would shed on that? Yeah, I think uh, in commercial real estate, in general, I think uh, there are different segments to it. Office, that uh, I think what what you're referring to, that's the most stressed uh, sector of commercial real estate. But we have managers that are more active on multifamily apartments because the demographics, because of lack of supply since the great financial crisis is really, it has been a tailwind. So that part of the market is doing well. The office space, you're right. I think that's that's still a big question mark that's going to have to get resolved over the next uh, maybe few months. Uh, so that part is definitely going to present some opportunities. We have talked to both private uh, real estate managers, and also on the public side, the commercial mortgage-backed securities (CMBS), where managers feel that there are going to there are going to be some opportunities to capitalize on those uh, dislocations that are going to occur in the commercial real estate. So we'll we'll stay tuned, but we're in touch with our managers, and I think you're right that there's going to be some great opportunities in that space. I'm glad that you brought that up because supply has a lot to do with price and the resiliency of it. And so single family homes and multifamily have weathered this storm a lot better than some of the other asset classes. Yeah. Um, Sasan, any thoughts around um, opportunities out there for investing, whether it be in stocks, bonds, real estate, commodities? What are you seeing out there? So I think one area where we have a high degree of conviction that hasn't really participated in the equity market rally here to date is uh, space associated with commodities and natural resources. So it's something we've talked about in the past, kind of the two big macro factors of deglobalization and decarbonization. So the shift toward renewable energy and the fact that we're going to be onshoring a lot of the manufacturing to the U.S. from across the world. So those are two factors that are going to be beneficial for natural resource companies. And again, they have not participated in a rally, I think mainly because... uh, China's economy has been weak. The dollar has been a little bit stronger. So I think going forward, the valuations are very reasonable. And these are really multi-year trends, kind of higher inflation, 
and uh, kind of move toward renewable energy, that's going to be beneficial for resource stocks. So when we look at the equity markets, it's best not to paint everything with a broad brush. There are pockets of opportunities, and that's why we have manager, active managers that are going to be able to capitalize on those opportunities. I think the natural resources actually had a pretty good month. It might be lower for the year, but I think the month of June, it was up almost almost close to 6%. They did come back pretty nicely, yeah. yes. Um, anything else you'd like to share before we recap it? So- no, again, I think our focus uh, has been on private lending. Again, we like uh, asset-based lending. So that's loans that have collateral that backs those loans. Uh, I think we are finding some great opportunities. A lot of these loans are floating rate. So as interest rates go up, they participate in the higher rate as well. Uh, and there's collateral backing these loans. So we are getting uh, some, we can compensate it very nicely in some of these strategies. And we're finding a lot of good managers that are going to be uh, capitalizing on these opportunities that are going to, I think, present themselves over the next few months. I agree. I mean, look, there's going to continue to be a lot of headline risks out there, fears of recession, um, the Fed continuing to raise interest rates if they're if they're still concerned with their ability to tackle inflation. There's going to be the whole student loan repayment to less money in the system. Um, there's going to be a lot of headwinds that the economy is likely to face, and it's important to stay diversified. If you're only using traditional stocks and bonds to stay diversified, you're not doing enough to best protect you. Um, there's a whole area and universe out there to invest in that's becoming larger and more popular now that those smaller, medium-sized regional banks have been challenged. And that is one of those with private lending or private diversified credit. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications about weekly episodes, email us at financialcommute at mortonwealth.com.